Welcome to That Shit Show, a podcast about overcoming trauma. I'm Emma Castle. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the show, Brett. Brett is a, a former police officer who was in the force for 17 years, and he's also recently experienced the loss of his wife. So he's had a, a few things to contend with. So welcome, Brett. Hi, how are you, Emma? Good, thank you. Good. So let's start at the beginning. So you must have been pretty young when you joined the force. So what attracted you to the police force? Uh, dabbles in the police. Okay. So dabbles in the police back in Sydney. And then I dabbled in you know, typical post-school apprenticeship. And then at 22, decided to, yeah, try to follow dad's footsteps, I guess. Yeah, yeah, right. And so when you looked to your dad, like, did it look like a good career? What what was so good about it in the eyes of 22-year-old you? Oh, I think, well, back then, like, dad was sort of back in the, um, you know, Sydney with, yeah, the different policing back then, you know, like the Euchre Nights and the Poker Nights and, you know, the big barbecues. And then and that's how it sort of started. When I started the police back in... Well, it was ninety ninety four. That's how it started. Yeah, there wasn't much difference, but it has changed since then. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So what? Like you sort of start out as a rookie cop, and were you in Sydney at the time? Uh, yeah, Bankstown. Yeah. Ah, so Bankstown. Yep. Um, how was that? Because Bankstown's sort of known for, well, particular types of crime, I suppose. Like. Um, yeah, that was a, That was jumping in the deep end. That was being pushed in without floaties. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> So what were yeah, the um, things that you dealt with in Bankstown? Uh, uh, so violent crimes, whether it be domestic or it be gang-related crimes or um, drugs were just starting to come to the fore. Um, and, yeah, and I suppose your, your typical, like your motor vehicle accidents, um, but a lot of crime, a lot of violence and that sort of thing, yeah. Okay, and so how was it initially? Did you was it exciting, or were were you shocked, or shocked? Yeah, I think we get the impression of police through like country practice or Blue Heelers or those sort of shows, you know, Water Rats. <laughs> and um, the reality is that, yeah, what you see during your shift, you take home that night, and you yeah you dream about it, you you have nightmares about it, and then you you can't let things go. So the gloriness of the police, you lose it quite quickly. And it becomes this job you try and survive, I guess. Right. Yeah. Okay, so the aspects of community service where that protect and serve type ideology, yep. um, does that all become like secondary because you're just thinking, oh, my God, I've got to get through another day of this? Yeah, one, it's almost uh, it's, it's almost snowballs. We've got a few um, like, yeah, pretty uh, traumatic incidents early on the piece and it's almost like you're trying to recover from those and you're, you're trying to carry that baggage the next day and you're, you don't want to go to work for fear of repeating that previous week, and and that just snowballs because back then it was a there was no real EAP. It was basically more of a drinking culture. So you you dealt with your problems through the pub, you know, through the bottle. There was no counselling. There was no, no as as I say, you know, grown men don't cry and that sort of stuff. So yeah, what you saw you dealt with through alcohol or through you know, through other other means. Right, yeah. that's unhealthy. So you mentioned it was back then, yes. <laughs> what is EAP? What you mentioned? It's the assistant. It's like the employee assistance program. It's ah. like that ten Medicare thing which we've got now. So when you get the ten free Medicare appointments, um, that wasn't around back then. <laughs> right. Okay. So yeah. you've basically got a whole group of people who are suffering from collective trauma because. Yeah. 
guys work in partnership, right? You, there's usually two people on the job. So like it's two people who've kind of experienced the same trauma. Then still yeah. So do you support each other? Is there any support there or? You try to, um, but also it's hard because uh, I was quite senior quite early. So you try and protect the junior person from those sort of jobs. You might not get them involved in, either speaking to the deceased people's parents or you don't get the young person, the young cop involved in actually seeing the trauma incident. Um, you try and give them other jobs to try to suppose, protect them from that job. So you basically lumbered with the job and then you lumbered with the, that ongoing stress. Um, but you do it to protect because obviously, you know, when you're young, how tough it can be. And 22, I was quite old. Um, yeah, I was quite old. I used to start in the police, which was weird back then. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I understand. Like back, yeah. back even like I finished high school in 96 and like it was just, I started uni at like 20, I think it was. And then that yeah. was really old. Yeah. Right. And so I suppose like what were some of the things that stayed with you? Because if you sort of, you know, there's a daily experience of trauma, like there's kind of mm. bad stuff happening every day but like what were the yeah. ones that really affected you that you dreamt um, of let go of I, I think things like your obviously serious car accidents when you're like it's it's it's, it's it's unimaginable what can happen to a human body in a car crash you know and you can although we see car crashes on tv and we see them in you know movies and blockbuster videos those things to actually see it firsthand and it's also the smell like i think our eyes see a lot of things, but our senses through our smells, that's what really sets you up because you get that smell of a car crash or of a, a murder or serious crime. And it's a smell that lingers more than the sight. Um, yeah, I had a, had a, had a run of um, SIDS, like cot deaths. And I, had a, had, a, had a young boy, so same sort of era. So there was, there was that period of, you know, like relating the job to your home and bringing that sort of job back to your home and being overprotective and, um, yeah, and then you start to you know, get, obviously, then I started to get aggressive at home because I was, yeah, had no outlet apart from drinking and, yeah, that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, and that, that hurts. Like when, you, when you bring that sort of stuff home and my first marriage sort of dissolved as a result of it, it did. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. I've heard this phenomena of being very overprotective of your children. So mm. is it because yep. you've kind of seen, you've seen a kid die? In yeah, your work? yeah. Definitely, yeah. Like you think you kind of, I guess, translate that to thinking, oh my God, what if anything happened to my kids? And so, yeah, yeah, you've got to leave the house and stuff. Like when you I just know. life goes on and you can't wrap yourself in cotton wool, but it's just that fact that what you've seen, you think, what happens to this beautiful family, then what can happen to me? Um, yeah, wow, okay. So, were you in Bankstown the whole time? No, so Bankstown for a year. And then I got moved to Cronulla, which is where I lived. Um, and that was, although that was a very different demographic of people, it was still the same crime. It was still the drugs, still the violence, um, yeah, still the the suicides, those sort of things. So had a pretty beach, um, but still the same crime. Yeah. Right. So would you say from your experience that every everywhere has sort of similar things going on? Like it's oh, definitely whether it's a yeah a lower lower class society or whether it's you know, you're in upper north shore there's always violence there's always crimes always drugs um yeah it's just a different people different pay packet who's involved i think yes yeah, right okay yeah. so and dealing with the different demographics is it much the same like telling 
you know, I suppose telling someone's parents that their kids died in a car accident, like it doesn't, social class is like not a factor in that. Like I feel like no. confronted with that is like, it's just crushing for everybody. Yeah. It's almost a case of, I find, I found that the higher society someone was, the harder they, they dealt with it because not that they've had a gifted life, but because their life's been supposed to be smoother than you know, the lesser you know, socioeconomic person who's had a tough life, they deal with loss easier. And I've also find they've got a bigger network of people around them. Um, yeah, because like I, 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 I went to, to you know, suicide at Bankstown where within half an hour, there was 50 people there supporting the family. Right. You know, where you do the same job at Waverley or at Bondi um, and it would just be the, the mum. Yeah, you know, like it's just, there's almost that, suppose that embarrassment from that, I don't know if embarrassment's the right word, but there's that, yeah, that not wanting to get people involved and not wanting people to know about a, a fault or, a, you know. So, yeah, so it was, it, was, it was interesting seeing how the different communities come together and don't come together. Um, yeah, so that, that was interesting to see, yeah. Yeah, right. So you must be pretty cluey about reading people now because you've seen people... Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, unfortunately. Um, yeah, like, so going forward in your career so you sort of when did you realize that obviously your first marriage broke down because you said you were getting aggressive like was it a domestic yeah. violence type of aggressiveness or was no, it no 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 i never it was just more um um she described it like you know walking on eggshells and that sort of stuff like i was never aggressive i was never violent i was never verbally i was just just the right rule little shit <laughs> you know just like i i'd come home and i just i didn't contribute to the family much and then um, I don't blame her because you know it just it was just happened. It was just I, I was down through a bad stage, and you know I I I I, I do regret what I you know, I do I do regret what I carried on, but had no other way to I suppose deal with things, you know. So it was all I knew. Um, you know, we just moved to a new town, we just moved to Bulongong. So it was a case of living in somewhere with no family, no support, and just getting home from work and just yeah, not pulling my weight. I guess yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I think. Yeah to be honest, from what I understand about first responders is if your relationships do survive when you have PTSD, yeah. uh, it's sort of almost a miracle. Like it's, yeah. um, you know, like. Well, I, I, yeah. Well, I, I remarried and she was also in the police and we, we had 20 years together. So that was, that, that was, that was a godsend, you know, so we're both first responders. Yeah. And we got 20 years out of it. So yeah, that, that, that was a 1%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so your marriage breaks down, you've still got kids, like so what happens? Like you sort of when did you realise did you ever seek help? Like did you sort of realise that, um, that wasn't the place to be dealing with your problems? Yeah, I I, I did I had I had a bad run of jobs at Maria at Cronulla and then um a job vacancy came up at Orange. Yeah. That was around to sort of two thousand and one. And my supervisor saw that basically he saw my potential, I guess, in the police and saw that I was just basically spiraling, you know, like they, they say I, I, I had, had a bad run of, of bad jobs. So basically, and he, he told me to apply for the job at Orange and he helped me get the job at Orange through, you know, through contacts. And, um, yeah, so I moved out to Orange and then, yeah, had, yeah, 15 or 14 years here. So, yeah. Right. Okay. And so... Oh was it easier in orange like was it sort of the fresh start and did you sort of like was did you did at that point did you see a therapist or a counselor or um had, had not for a while yeah. at that point i think 
I think I came out here thinking it was going to be yeah like a a new town, country town. Um, yeah, no crime happens, but it was almost yeah. It didn't take long to get back into the old routine of like your domestics, your serious car crashes, your suicides, those sort of things. And like every town has it. It's just at different, suppose different levels. And um, and then I basically I, I did start seeing counsellors about two thousand. 2004 2005 um after a run of jobs and after i think my, my girlfriend back then she recognized that i i'd needed help and um through gentle persuasion yeah i, I sought help and um, i'm still seeing i'm still seeing the same counselor today so almost 15 years later yeah right okay so when you met that counselor you know you finally got there so how was that how was that experience of speaking to a counselor it took it took um three times for me to walk in the front door i couldn't do it um i'd ring up i'd, I'd ring up from the, my car saying i can't come in and we spoke on the phone for a few minutes and i'd go home i'd come back again next week and maybe 10 minutes on the phone and then um it felt like it was weird i remember the exact saying i, I felt like i was a dog going to bet to be neutered <laughs> yeah there was that fear of it was that fear of although she's a stranger of telling someone the truth like you know you, you lie so much to your friends you lie so much to yourself and I think it was the fact that opening up and telling her how bad things were um, was going to cause more issues, which it did. And then, yeah, the floodgates opened up and, yeah. Okay, so was it a, an experience of then having to go back and deal with all that trauma you hadn't yeah. looked at? Yeah, that was hard because, and like she said, she's, you know, you're going to open up a lot of wounds and you're going to rehash things. And, um, and I found it hard because, obviously, I drank a bit, I ate a lot. So I didn't sleep much and you know, got bigger and fatter and you know, low self-esteem. And, but, um, but then I found running. So I started to I'd go to my counsellor then I'd go for a run um, just to try to, I suppose, not digest, but trying to, yeah, I suppose, almost remove both that guilt of seeing a counsellor um, and, just, and just trying to, I suppose, digest what happened during that, during that session to see what did, what did I miss anything, was I truthful to her and, yeah, and that's what worked and I still run today. <laughs> right, okay, because you're definitely not fat now. <laughs> no, no, no. I, yeah, I, I, I run now, yeah. yeah you yeah. look great. So, um, <laughs> so I guess you mentioned the word guilt about talking to a counsellor. Did you feel mm. as though you was, like, there was something shameful about seeing 100%. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think I told my, my, or my wife um, that I was seeing a counsellor. I just... Yeah, you because know, she knew I had to you know, had them scheduled, but I didn't. I felt embarrassed to tell her what I was doing, and and um, it's just that yeah, there's that guilt of not being able to cope. And because you see, I think the 104 staff at Orange, and you think you're the only person who's seen a counsellor, but you find out that over half the staff do see counsellor of some type. So, but you still feel guilt. You still feel that guilt, that shame of not being able to cope with a job which everyone thinks is, you know, cops on TV and you know, that sort of stuff. So it's yeah, definitely, definitely guilt, yes. Well, it sounds like every day at work was like, for a normal person, someone like me, a journalist, that would be like my worst day at work ever. But yeah. you're having the worst day at work every single day. So yeah, it's, yeah. And yeah. yeah. The worst thing was that like even a job that was a routine job, you, you started to have that negative thought, that glass half empty. Um, because you are so, oh, I suppose, so beaten up in the past year, you find it hard to find happiness and you almost feel guilty finding happiness. So you tend to do this, everything's negative. And if I be, if I be negative, then if I fall over, I, I, I accepted it. So, um, 
yeah, so you get that big spiral of being negative all your life. And um, so, so I moved out general Jews. I moved into a, a, um, a specialist, uh, basically like an undercover unit for a while to try to help me, yeah, <laughs> forget that side of the police. Yeah, right. And did that help? Did transitioning into yeah, right. yeah, You're not kind of at the cold face dealing with yeah as many people yeah. presumably. Yeah, and just that, just that, like the, the the run of like your suicides and and, and you yeah, know the violence and you know seeing, especially in a small country town, like you see women get beat up, and then next week you see this husband and wife at the markets. You think, oh, you know, like last week you you beat up your wife, and say you're holding a hand in the fruit market, you know, and and they're hard because you know they're hard to take because in Sydney, that Sydney, you very rarely come across your victims of crime because it's such a big city, but in a small country town, you come across them all the time, and it was quite hard to accept that. You know, you get, get the confidence to to tell me the truth or to tell me yeah, what happened and then now you've been dragged back into that same old vicious cycle again and yeah, so then, then you start to think, well, did I give her the support she needed? Was I the right person for her? And <coughs> you question yourself and yeah, so change was good. It's good as a holiday, as they say. Yeah, right. So the undercover unit, um, I'm not sure if yep. you're allowed to talk about it, but um, was that kind of more like just watching like surveillance? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah of, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, um, like, we, we, we covered between Orange and so Broken Hill, so it was a case of travelling, hitting a hotspot, dealing with that. Could be, could it be like small crime or stealings or bills. It was it was like what you thought police was. It was you know look, looking for the crook, catching him, locking him up, and then get the next one. It was just, there was no no sort of like yeah no death and no carnage and that sort of stuff. So it was harder work, but way less I suppose emotionally taxing. Yeah, well, yeah. it's almost like like when you're being trained as a police officer, do they give you any tools to cope with the emotional aspects of the work? Uh, no, <laughs> not not back then. No, there was it came it did come in you know, partly through the police when you went for promotions, you attended you know um, two or three day I suppose conferences where they they spoke about warning signs and how to you know check other people and what questions to ask and um, but back then it was no there was no there was no real I suppose education at all about mental health or mental illness or self you know look after yourself and yeah. You yeah. drink. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. I dated a detective for a while, and he loved to drink. <laughs> yep. He also yep. didn't like intimacy. He didn't want to get close to people. Like he. Yeah, I got that way. Yeah, I had that had that problem for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So, how yep. did you move forward from there? Like, you know, um, did did changing jobs kind of help? And like, because you obviously met your partner, who is an um is was an ex was yeah yeah it was yeah she was yeah. So she passed away, but she was a cop yep. as well. Was she a cop yep. in Orange? Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we're both police here together. So we worked the same unit for a couple of years, and then we um the sort of, <coughs> it didn't put stress on our marriage, but it just put stress on us working together. So we basically we worked so two different units and we worked sort of like different shifts and um and then we had our daughter so that way we could be like one person that was at home, one person was at work. So and that worked for us. I said, you know, we had twenty great years and yeah. Um yeah, so that worked and, and then she left um in about I think two thousand and thirteen. Um or fourteen, yeah. She broke her back in an in an arrest and um, suffered spinal injuries. So yeah. Whoa, okay. Yeah. So mm. that's huge. So but <laughs> when did you decide to leave? Like when did you kind of make the call? 906 was the time. <laughs> I can't remember the date. Um, 
So I, um, so I, I became office bound for, I decided to do intelligence. So basically, because I had that, because I had a good eye for people and a good, just that knack of being able to read people, um, I moved into an, an intelligence role, which basically was basically profiling offenders and um, something I might want to help run a search warrant. So I would help them profile the person, their, their contacts. Um, <clears throat> but I was subjected to quite serious um, space bullying, internal bullying from my supervisor. Um, and yeah, and basically it, I just snapped one day and um, yeah, threatened self-harm and, and basically left. Yeah, so and I didn't go back. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you walk mm. out. What happens then? Like you've walked out of your job that you've, it's kind yeah, of. Weird. I walked out and came to Ben's for two days. Um, wow. Yeah. Like yeah. if or just trying to hide from it? I was just exhausted, I think. Yeah. I remember my wife came in and she said, she asked what happened. I said, oh, I was just, I'm home early. And, and um, <clears throat> she checked my, my police shirt and it was, literally it was, like I've been for a swim, she said it was just covered in sweat. Um, and she called the station and basically said, you know, like, what's happened at work? And they're like, we're trying to find Brett. And she's like, oh, he's in bed. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was, um, it was tough. I've got no memory of it. I only really what I've been told by my colleagues what happened. So, which is, so it's, I remember the time, but I, I don't remember anything else. I remember, remember looking at my clock on my, on my, on my desk and just seeing 906 and then, um, having real no memory for about three months because I got, um, I got sent to a um a clinic for three months. Yeah, okay. Um, at, at Dudley Hospital for three months, basically under um so suicide watch and um, that sort of stuff. So yeah. Okay, so you had a sort of psychological breakdown. Mm. Sounds of it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. but hey, there's yeah. no shame in that. Yeah. Considering, especially considering what you've been through. Yeah. So okay, so and. And you don't remember it. That's really common as well with no. PTSD is that your memory goes. And so, yeah. so I suppose like after that three months, like you're getting out, what do you do with yourself when you're like, well, got no job. <laughs> that, that was hard. Yeah. I, I worked from probably, probably when I was 14, I've always worked with paper run, whether it was, you know, washing cars or mowing lawns. So when I left um, the hospital and basically the police said, oh, yeah, you, you're no longer really, wanted or needed um here's your police pension and goodbye um that was hard to take because like i didn't again i was still suffering from ptsd and i think i got out too early because i i told, told a few lies i'll admit that but i just didn't want to be locked up in the room for too long and um being given a pension each week to me was um i i, I felt offended because i was like to me that was a doll and i hated doll bludgers back then because that was you know like doll bludgers you know were the to me, that was the easy copy out. Here I was getting the doll and I hated it um, for years, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, so, so that was hard. Right, so you're kind of dealing, like you're still pretty fragile. You Like is yep. your wife's back better at this point? Uh, so she had surgery um, and then and then they basically, then she was discharged from the police, yeah. Okay, so you're both kind of out and I'm mm. imagining she's on a police pension too. So I don't know what yeah. money's involved in that. But is that the kind of money where you don't have to work again if you don't want to? Oh, no, we we just barely scraped by. But it was, it was lower than the doll, which was quite funny. Yeah, yeah. so it was... So it's terrible yeah. money, basically. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, and did they, did your old colleagues come to see you or did they express... One. Yeah. One. Yeah. Right. Just one person. Yeah. Um, I think back then it was, oh, I think... It was that fine line between, um, yeah, he's full of shit. 
um, or I don't want to catch it. That that was that was the impression you got was that you know like if you've got a broken arm or broken leg, people can see the break, they can see the cast. Um, with PTSD, mental illness, they they can't yeah they they can't see it, so they think it's either fake or they're worried about catching it or they're worried about being with someone who's got it. So yeah, basically I lost a lot of friends in a, in a week. Yeah, so it was quite sad. Because um yeah, but these things happen, I guess. <laughs> Well, that's a whole other trauma, like to actually yeah, that that was tough, yeah. from a community that you've been a really important part of. Mm. You know, like it's, and I, I imagine it's quite a hierarchical community and it sounds like you were pretty yeah. high up. So it's like yeah, yeah, probably yeah. a lot of people who kissed your ass for many, many years. <laughs> that's a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, <laughs> that sense of shame like that, you know. Yep. So how did you rebuild yourself after this? Like how do you figure out who you are without that job and how do you kind of come back to life after that? Um, I went downhill quickly and I really, like I said, I basically went downhill and I went to Sydney uh, to see a a medical officer to try and get like a proper police pension. I was trying to get diagnosed because I got basically discharged, just I basically got released from the police, but there was no real acceptance of blame or acceptance of me having PTSD. So um, I had to fight the police to get, the proper pension and um i was in sydney uh i couldn't even tell you the year about 15 or 14 and um i basically planned to kill myself on this day um at the um eddie street bus terminal so and i was basically i remember i was, I was envisaging i was planning it how i was going to do it and um a bloke fell down these escalators right next next row standing and basically fell down quite a distance and hurt himself quite badly and and it was almost like my police brain just triggered and I raced over, controlled him, controlled the whole thing. Anybody's came. And then my bus was leaving to come back to Orange. And this woman, so I hear she bag um, and the note you wrote's in the bin. That's what she said, said to me. Yeah. So I left, I left my bag in this kiosk with this suicide note on it. Um, and basically, yeah, this guy fell. I helped him. Yeah. And then just, yeah, so... It was a very long trip home on the bus, talking to my psychologist the whole way home, basically, and and then I got more help with her and more help you know, through the department after that. So that was sort of like that sliding door moment that I'm grateful this poor guy fell down the stairs because who knows what would have happened, yeah. Wow, yeah, that's that crazy. Was, yeah. Like you were right at the point of execution. Like yeah, yeah. You were well, going to... Planned- I, I, had, I, had, I had a few other attempts earlier, but... Um, I'd, I'd call the police station first and ask who was on shift. Um, so I, I didn't want to put the wrong person through the trauma I went through. So the last thing I wanted to do was put a friend through dealing with me dying. So, but I had this run of, I had really good friends who were working, so I didn't want to put them through it. So thankfully, I guess, um, the right person was working that night. That makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was, yeah. Do you think that all that, kind of adds up to the fact that you're meant to be here i guess so well i guess you know, not having my wife here now you know, my girls wouldn't be here look my girls could be in foster care my girls could be you know who knows so yeah i'm not i'm not a believer in you know outside influences but i guess you know like i'm here for a reason and you know it's just yeah i'm, I'm grateful now than a lot more grateful than i was back then that's for sure <laughs> yeah right so i guess that, so you're like at a really low ebb at that point. And yeah. when did you find out that your wife had cancer? Like when did um, that happen? 
just after that time, so just after that period was when she was still got diagnosed. Because we had a, um, my daughter was born, my second daughter was born, and it got misdiagnosed as a blocked milk duct for a while. Oh, breast cancer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and then it basically came on. It was quite aggressive, and um, yeah. Then, then, it, then it um, went turned to brain cancer, and then, yeah, then she passed away sort of last September, so last October. So, yeah. So it was a, <clears throat> it was a longest fight, but it was um, yeah, it was just. It was quite, I suppose it was quick, but it was, yeah, it felt like it, yeah, it was very quick. But um, yeah. so I guess that's that added to my stress. <laughs> yeah. What are we talking, 12 years, 12, 13 years of um, remission? Cancer. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Your daughter's 14. Yeah, yeah she was the youngest one, so she's sorry, 12 now. She's so 12, Tegan's 12, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so then you've got this battle with cancer and so I'm guessing mm -hmm. she went into remission a few times and... Yeah, a few times, yep, and yep, had the parties and had the five-year anniversary and those things and, um, yeah, did all those stuff which you're told to do and, and then came back in a bit of vengeance and, yeah, it was like months. The, the last the last of diagnosis was months, so, yeah, which was... Wow. It was tough in a way, but it was, it was um, yeah, I guess it was... We were told how to deal with it and... Um, yeah, we lost, I lost a few friends as a result of that as well because I, I apparently I didn't I didn't treat it properly and, and yeah, but it was hard because we were told how to deal with it through a proper trained psychologist who told us how to deal with this sort of thing and and yeah, like, like, yeah, limit my girl's exposure and limit our our time in hospital with her and um, but then other people had other ideas of how I should be treating my girls and so that made it hard because yeah, your keyboard warriors came out and yeah, so that that was quite hard. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Mm. Yeah. <laughs> they don't sound yes. like friends that you want to have anyway <laughs> i know and it was hard because that was some really close friends some really good friends who were just just didn't know um because we, we knew she was terminal for quite a while so and she was in a ace person care for a few months so um and we we're basically told you now like the girls should go there between you know four and six in the afternoon and that's it um you don't go there all day don't spend all day there and don't spend all weekend there and um it was almost a case of Basically, the girl was starting to mourn before she passed, yeah. and, and 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 my wife helping them mourn by you know, short time visits and, um, you know, I suppose cramming everything into a couple of hours and then you know making it and then leaving and then yeah then come back the next day and you know, not being there because obviously because you know, she was basically the borderline front um so on you know, on um air assistance for last for a few weeks so it wasn't really a sight that we wanted the girls to have that long that long period of time. Um, yeah, so it's very, and, and the, the girls sort of like stays got shorter and shorter, which was how we're told to deal with it through our our psychologists and through our yeah our, our support network. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, did you just tell those other people to fuck right off? <laughs> like that you I, had like well, professional. We tried to. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was weird because yeah, like we we tried to like even one day there we agreed that um the girls got sole access between four and six because. Um, People kept lobbying and that was quite annoying because no one ever came to our house to, to help us out, but people wanted to come to the hospital. So it was almost that case of them coming to hospital for their own need. Um, so we both put out an email on her Facebook page saying, please don't come between four and six. That's time for me and my girls. And one of her friends said that someone hacked her account and that, that wasn't her talking. So it was like her friend was trying to get above me you know, in the pecking order of supporting her and, yeah, so it became a you know, it became this big tussle of who was the better friend. Yeah, you know, they go home and update the Facebook. Oh, I spent three hours with so and so. I'm like, you know, like, 
don't big note yourself on Facebook how much you're caring for my wife. You know, like I said, no, that was hard because, and then basically the day she died was the day that our support died. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Oh man, that's a whole yeah. other can of worms. And so. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I guess you find yourself as a single dad, like you're you're yeah. a widow. Um, you're young. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're young and. Yeah. And some of your support network have acted like a bunch of assholes. And so (laughs) who helps you at that point? Like, is there anybody who is actually useful at that time? Yeah, it's hard for some, like, it's, um, like, I I, said, you know, I passed away to two Septembers ago. um, And I had a few friends, like, sort of Joe and a few friends who, it seemed to be those those friends who were so busy had time to make me a dinner. I had time to mow my lawns. or had time to, you know, like, and people who knew Francine, um, which was Joe and sort of that school network were quite good. And then, um, and another mutual friend of my my wife's, um, she actually helped me out. And you know, she's got five kids of her own, but she always found time to give me a hand. And and um and now we're still like seeing each other. So it's nice that now, like, and she was a and this friend I'm seeing now, she was someone who my wife loved and said to me one day, one day you should ask her out on a date. Like she was, and my wife was basically planning my future before she passed away, which was quite cute. Um, and I, but I, was, I, I said to her, no, I said, you, you will be my last love. Like you are it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be a bachelor. I need my dogs and my girls. And um, yeah. And then, and then, yeah. Like, and I fought, you know, I suppose finding, falling in love with this person for a long time. Cause I didn't want to break my, my wife's, you know, I suppose heart or you know or, my, or, that, or that you know that picture and and uh but her words you know, kept going back to me basically and she basically said to me you know, you know like, just ask her out one day and see how it goes and yeah we did and yeah it's just it's nice it just flows on the background just a nice company for me and yeah so it's good that is yeah. good and it's yeah because your wife knows you better than anybody else yep. and yeah. so she knows yep. who could put up with you exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it's like yeah that's what it's like <laughs> so okay so that, that's a kind of a happy story in the midst of all this yeah oh. of course she, this, this person's known me for like 15 years or 10 years and she knows about my police knows about my my issues knows about you know my suicide stuff so it's all the case of me not having to hide from this person i just she knows what i'm like she knows when i'm quiet it's just me it's not her it's um you know she knows i, I still run each day so she knows yeah and my girls know yeah that's going for his run Gaffrey's the hour runs to help me get through the other 23 hours. I have my hour to myself. Um, and then, then I, I go to being a dad. Yeah, so. Yeah, right. Yes. Okay. So yeah. What are you sort of hoping for the future now? Like sort of, I do you think about the future or are you sort of just like things are okay now? Or like are you sort of still in grief over your wife or? Oh, it's still, yeah, still. Like, it's, like our house hasn't changed. Like not one thing in, in this house has been taken down. Um yeah, when yeah, when so girlfriend comes over with her kids, you know, like there's nothing here. I, I, I don't turn down photographs. I don't turn down memories because you know, she knew Francine for years and she knew our love and and she was in quite a bad relationship before and she's always said I loved your marriage to Francine. I loved how much you guys basically were best friends and she wish I had, she I never had that. Um, so she so, you know, so she so she knew what I had here and she knows that and my legacy with Francine will never die. Um, no matter what part, you know, my new girlfriend takes. So it's it's good there because she's like she knows her, she knows us. So I don't have to fake it, I don't have to hide anything from her. So it's um, but we're just one day at a time, and it's just you know like 
we enjoy our catch ups as we can with this, you know, <laughs> with these restrictions at the moment. So, yeah. Yeah, well, also you have seven children between you. <laughs> funny, the, um, it's, a, it's a quite a, yeah. We went to Sydney uh, before, I think it was about February, just for a, a weekend and it was, um, yeah, we turned some eyes. It was quite funny. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you just like, like two little parent ducks with like seven little ducklings. Yeah. And I think one day there, well, I took the girls to West Fields because there's five girls and two boys and, and the boys do their own things and they're older and the girls are all like you know, younger and the guys were like, mate, keep trying for a boy. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, make sure. Like, I'm not going to explain things. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like a bit of comical relief for them to see some guy with five girls behind him. Yeah, it was quite funny. <laughs> oh, I'm one of four girls. So, you know, my dad would yep. be nice. <laughs> but, um, yes, yes. Okay, so things are kind of going okay. Like, are you... Do you, are you interested in going back to work in some capacity of some sort of work, like not the police, but um Yeah, I tried to I, I went back to as a teacher's aide for a year. Yeah. Um working as a teacher's aide, which is um like a job placement from the police. They helped me sort of get retrained and I really enjoyed it. But then with the staff cuts and you know, last in, first out type thing, so um and then I dabbled into PT for a while and, and then um and now I'm back. I'm back at TAFE doing a just a event management course just to keep my brain ticking over and stop eating. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're clearly really bright. So and often. Yeah. You know the trouble with really bright people who have a propensity towards depression and anxiety is that um, idle hands. Like. <laughs> that's exactly right. It is. Yeah. yeah. Often you yep. need to be intellectually stimulated. You need to be doing something. Yep too much time is rarely a good thing for people that's, that's so true um, yes because like i would be like that myself so <laughs> you know so um okay so event management that's a total departure so yeah what kind of events yeah. would you like to do um i just i think it's just something which came up one day and one of those might have been one of those facebook tape things that popped up my screen i went oh, i'll give that a go and just a i just really enjoy obviously it's all you know like budgeting and time management and you know, networking stuff that I was good at in the police. So I'm always carrying carrying across my police skills to this new role. Um, yeah, and and my girlfriend she works at like a local club, so there's openings there to you know, like get into so their event management team if I want to go down that way. Um, you know, with functions and those sort of things. So it's um yeah, it's very early days. I've been semester one, but it's just it's way of, way of my head. But I'm enjoying it because it's a good challenge and oh. it keeps the brain ticking over. Oh, and they're a big opportunity. So my last yeah. like sort of full-time job was editing an events magazine. So for the event okay. industry and um, like there are big conferences and someone yep. with your skills and your knowledge would be really like a really preferred event producer for some of the yeah. conferences. Like someone like... That's what I've, heard. I've heard a few people say to me like your ideal, because especially time management and you know, speaking to the aggressive nature and being able to result, you know, diffuse situations, which was... 17 years doing that in the police so it's using those skills which i guess i've had in the background for so many years now to bring them to the fore in a happier environment oh yeah look i mean it can still be a shit fight don't you worry but yeah. <laughs> yeah. but um but there's better catering much better catering yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so okay so how like like now you kind of, you're still seeing your counsellor, like you're yep. running. Um, are there other things that you found have been helpful in your journey to here? Gardening. I had a love of gardening. I don't know where it's come from, but just love it. Yeah. Just, 
I think it's just that I had a problem where um, I was with my PTSD and my depression that I I started to, really to rush things. I, try, I basically tried to get to the end result too quickly. And that, that, that was everything from cooking to washing to ironing. Um, I was just like, get the end result. And Bruce, I think I started gardening now, which is really weird, like you know, building retaining walls and help my, and doing doing planter beds. And it's just that whole sequence of like, it might take me a week to do it. You know, it could be a one day job, but I just enjoy doing it and just relaxing and just, I suppose, yeah, slowing life down a little bit and just, yeah, seeing the, the whole process, not just the end result as being the fun part. And so that, that's good. I'm really enjoying that and posting photographs on Facebook. It's just like all the doom and gloom of you know, years ago to now, here's my rose garden. <laughs> here's I my love that. So you're preaching to yeah. the converted here. <laughs> I know. It's just, um, I feel like uh, that's not yours. Yes, it is. I, I built this. And yeah, so it's, yeah, it's good. It's just, um, I'm enjoying it. It's just, yeah. Oh, good. And so I suppose like based on all your experiences and like there are a lot, what advice would you give someone? Like if you could sort of say to you 20 years ago or, you know, or someone who's facing similar challenges and you've had a lot of challenges. So what (laughs) would you, like, and I don't mean that in a, in any way, in a bad way. Like that's just how life worked out. Like it does. um, Like what would you, what advice would you give people? I think it's um, find a support network that you trust. Um, it took it took a few counsellors for me to basically to to trust them, and um, I guess trust, especially when you're not in a clear state of mind, you either trust the professionals, um, even though you don't agree with what they're saying. They've seen, you know, like they've seen other people in your situation before, so they know what sort of works. But that, but that's sort of like stereotyping your recovery. I think the professionals know how to help you you know, navigate your way through these sort of things. So if you trust them, that's your first first step to basically getting back on that, back on the path you want. So, um, yeah, I think they talk things out um, and talk things out with people who you trust. Um, like we do, we do lie to the ones we love. So you might find that, that mate who, you know, won't judge you, um, not, not keeps up from your loved ones, but you might just, you know, not tell them everything for fear of, you know, you lying too much to them or, or you, they're feeling embarrassed. That you that you know that you've crumbled. So it's a yeah. Trust the person you're talking to, and just um yeah, just be truthful. I think yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds yeah. it seems like you developed. If if you didn't always have it, you seem extremely self aware, and you are really honest. Like you're really yeah. able to speak about your experiences very openly. So yeah, I always have. Um yeah, I've always I said I started running, and then I I've, I've run and I've had a few stories in magazines, basically running. You know, original thing was running away from depression and then it was running, running towards depression and yeah, chasing the black dog. And I've had, I've had all these editorials written about me to do with mental illness. And um, I guess removing that stigma, stigma of um, those mental illness makes you, you know, a needy person. Um, you know, like I said, I've had a few runs, which I haven't finished because I've had you know, anxiety attacks during a race, but I'll, I'll still race the next year and give another go. So um, I think it's a case of, you now it's there, accept it, but don't let it beat you. Um, and just change your lifestyle to suppose, get through those dark patches. And when you're having a good day, you know, embrace it, <laughs> get outside and have fun. Yeah, yeah. And maybe don't just go to the pub all the time like they did no, in the police no, force. Holy shit, anymore. that's the no, worst thing you can yeah, do. <laughs> I know, it was. And that was the culture, drinking, um, yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, so but now it's just, I run every day. And that, and that, that's my that's my, my advice, I guess, is just running to get outside and just... Yeah, you know, take a take a deep fresh air and just enjoy 
yeah, be outdoors and um, and then get back on with life. Yeah, great. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks so much for your time, bro. I really Thank appreciate you. taking the time to speak to me and trusting so me the story. And um, yeah, so thanks so much for joining me. Yep, anytime. <laughs> You've been listening to That Shit Show. If you like what you've heard, head to the Facebook page or the website for more information. It's thatshitshowpodcast.com. You'll find show notes and more episodes to download. Thanks so much for joining me.